I want to tell you a story about George. George, who worked for the post office, and George's job was to process all the mail that had ineligible uh, addresses. And one day, just before Christmas, a letter landed on his desk, and it was simply addressed in rather shaky handwriting, Dear God, with no other clue on the envelope, uh, George opened and read the letter, and it read, Dear God, I am a 93-year-old widow living on a state pension. Yesterday, someone stole my purse. It had £100 in it, which was all the money I had in the world, and my pension is not due to the new year. Next week is Christmas, and I have invited two of my friends over for Christmas lunch. Without that money, I have nothing to buy food with. I have no family to turn to, and you are my only hope. God, can you please help me? Love, Gladys. Well, George, working at the post office, he was very deeply touched by this, uh, this letter, and he was a kind-hearted guy. So he took that letter and put it on the staff notice board at the sorting office. And uh, the letter actually touched other postmen, and they all dug deeply into their pockets and had a whip round. And between them, they raised 95 pounds. And using an official franked post office envelope, they sent the cash to this old lady. And for the rest of the day, the postman felt this warm glow of satisfaction for the kindness that they had offered to this old lady. Well, Christmas came and Christmas went, and uh, early in the new year, another letter came along, and it was, again, simply addressed to God. And uh, it landed on the sorting uh, office uh, table, and many of the postmen gathered around while George opened the letter. This second letter, it read, Dear God, how can I ever thank you enough for what you did for me? Because of your generosity, I was able to provide a lovely Christmas lunch for my friends. We had a very nice day, and I told my friends of your wonderful gift. In fact, we haven't got over it. And even Father John, our parish priest, is beside himself with joy. With love, Gladys. P.S. By the way, there was five pound missing. <laughs> and I think it must have been those thieving scoundrels at the post office. <laughs> well, I don't know about you, but um, if you've ever had a good turn thrown back in your face, maybe that you have done something to someone, for someone, out of the kindness of your heart, and somehow that then later on backfired, and your good turn was misunderstood or misinterpreted. The Christmas story is a story of God's kindness reaching out to humanity, reaching out to each one of us. And instead of embracing His kindness and responding with love in our hearts, we spurned and rejected His advances to us. One of the saddest verses in the entire Bible is found in the Gospel of John when he tells of the Christmas story, and it's this. I'll put it on screen for you. He, that is Jesus, was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. I'm sure that we all know about unwanted gifts you know, those purple and green spotted socks, that Piers Morgan autobiography, The Spice Girls' Greatest Hits, 
maybe those green and purple spotted socks weren't too bad after all. I'm sure that you have all had those Christmas presents that were surplus to requirements and got put out on the next charity collection. Well, the Daily Mail ran a story of Britain's worst Christmas gifts. And the article focused on a lady by the name of Sam Broad. And she told reporters of the kinds of presents that her husband, I put the couple there on screen for you, the husband had given her over the previous 15 years. And he included paracetamol, <laughs> bin bags, <coughs> pegs, flour. Uh, that is not flowers, that is flour, the self-raising kind. Tea towels, WD-40, car de-icer, and washing up gloves. Sam, age 45, said to the reporters, every time before Rick gives me a present, he tells me, don't get excited. <laughs> <laughs> and it's usually pretty good advice. I have realized that what was, uh, I, I, I should have realized what was to come when the first present he ever gave me was a set of teaspoons. <laughs> a few years back, I was considering buying Julie um, a brand new steam iron for Christmas. <laughs> I thought it would be practical. I thought it would be helpful. The old one had just broken, but one of our kids, I think it was Sean actually, she talked me out of being quite so practical and suggested that if I give Julie that for Christmas, she might just want to iron my face. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay. I admit, I'm, I, I'm, I'm a work in progress. The Bible speaks of Jesus as an indescribable gift, a gift that we cannot do without, who is essential, crucial, indispensable for life. Yet, to many people, Jesus is an unwanted gift. Many, uh, many people have said to me over the years, you know, Christmas is a nice time. It's all about family. It's about getting in the mood. It's carols, turkey, mulled wine, mince pies, <laughs> Disney reruns, uh, the Queen's speech, and so forth. But it's all about those things. But if you can keep the, the religious stuff to the minimum, please. And I've actually had people say to me, why on earth would I ever want to consider God? What would God ever do to me except spoil my fun? The last thing that I would ever want to become is one of those religious types. You know, white socks and sandals. Or like Ned Flanders from The Simpsons. But you know what? I have been a Christian many years now and I found out that God doesn't spoil our fun. He's actually the creator of true joy. And most Christians I know are probably more like Homer Simpson than they are Ned Flanders. But I'm not sure if that's necessarily a good thing or a bad thing. Jesus is the indescribable gift. That's the way that he is spoken of in the New Testament. He wasn't just a pointless, futile, superfluous gift. A gift that we, cannot, that we could do without. Jesus said of himself that God so loved the world that he gave us his son. Speaking of himself, that whoever trusts in him we'll have life, we'll have abundant life, we'll have eternal life, we'll have amazing life. That sounds pretty good to me. You see, the truth is this. 
that God has created each one of us with a spiritual hunger. It's a hunger which only can be satisfied by God Himself. And although many people try to satisfy this hunger in their lives with many other things, with all sorts of things, sometimes to numb the pain, sometimes in an attempt to raise themselves above the often tedious, mundane, everyday existence. But that yearning for something more can only ever truly be satisfied by God. That hole in our hearts is very much God-shaped. Now, many people know, and deep down in their hearts, that there has to be more. There has to be more than this. Many people, if they are honest with themselves, at some time or other during their lives, they have said those words. There has to be more to life than this. There has to be more than I have experienced or am experiencing in my life just now. These few short years on planet Earth, times of pain and times of misery, and then we are gone. You see, it makes sense that if we have been created by God and for God, then life cannot be lived successfully without God in our lives. But some people might respond by saying that their lives are full enough, thank you very much. But how do they know? How do they really know? If they've never taken the opportunity to embrace this gift that we are speaking about today and open their hearts to it. It was about 32 years ago when I was starting off in my first pastorate in ministry. And we were in Cardiff and we had a little black and white television. It was a 14-inch portable set. And it was okay. Do you remember those? <laughs> yes, you are old, aren't you? <laughs> and it was okay, and it lasted us well, and uh, it was okay unless you were watching Man United against Birmingham on that, and, you know, the blues and the reds, and you could never truly work out who was who, although Man United were normally the winning team if they were playing Birmingham. <laughs> Julie and I were quite happy with it. And that was until our kids went to school and they then went to their friends' homes and they had these 28-color sets, which is the equivalent of about 70-inch today. And needless to say that Julie and I came under great pressure to purchase a larger color model. Well, we did. It cost us £55. We got it second-hand and it lasted us 10 years, cheapskates though we are. The difference was incredible. Our enjoyment was transformed. There were an array of colors. The grass was green, the skies were blue, and it gave us a clarity that our own little portable black and white television could never ever give us. We even discovered that Wales rugby team played in red. <laughs> Up to that point in our lives, we thought they played in gray. It really brought a, a new dimension to watching documentaries or films or sport. You see, those who have become Christians often would say that something very similar to that about Christianity. Many would say that before they became Christians, they were quite happy with their lot. They had no pressing problems with their lives. Life was okay. But now, from the other side, having witnessed how good it is to experience the love of God... Many of them speak of their new life. It's like a 85-inch widescreen smart TV with 33 million pixel resolution with DVD and surround sound in comparison 
to that old 14-inch portable. You see, no wonder the Bible says, taste and see that the Lord is good. In other words, another way of saying that today in our language is the proof of the puddings in the eating. And I've encouraged many people over the years to dare to trust and dare to try, experiment as it were, to see if they too, what they will make of the love of God. Let me come to land before we sing another carol together. I'll tell you of an old English professor who once wrote a book on the subject of love. His only problem was that he had never been in love himself. Then one day he took his manuscript of his book to the proofreader who was to have it prepared for publication. And when his eyes met with the proofreader, it was love at first sight. Something happened to him. He fell in love and within five minutes, he learned more about what love was than the previous 50 years when love lived in his head alone. And you see, just like that professor, we will never know what it is to experience God's love until we can meet Him ourselves. We can read about Him, we can hear others speak about Him and speak of their love for Him. But that love really, truly needs to be experienced ourselves. A few years ago, I wrote a simple booklet which many people have found helpful. Helpful in just taking that first step to experience the love of God personally. You see, knowing the Christmas story in your head is never, ever, ever truly a substitute for knowing and experiencing that life-transforming love of God in your own hearts. So, let me finish with a challenge. If you want to know more, if you want to know more about what we've been singing about tonight and what gets these Christians so excited well, pick up one of those booklets. There are many of them there in the foyer. They're free. Just take one away and have a little read and see what you make of it. If tonight you've come in with a friend or a family member, <coughs> someone who's a Christian, and there's something perhaps in, the, in my few words or in one of the songs that has just grabbed you tonight, then have a chat with them about it and t ask them what, what they think and talk to them about the questions going through your head just now. Dan and I are around later on. We're going to meet meeting for mulled wine and mince pies, or was it mince? What was it? What did you say? Right, okay. Yeah, one or the other, okay? We're going to be around. Come and have a chat with us.